you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority Podcast. And if you have ever wondered if building a community is going to help you build your business, make money, and create a network, well, today's episode is for you. I want to welcome Sophie Bujo to the show. And uh, she is a community building expert and business strategist who has spent the past two decades working at the intersection of building community, improving client experience, and leveraging the online world. She is the founder of Clickworthy, and she specializes in designing high engagement communities that are built to scale while the workloads that run them don't. That's an important hint right there in Sophie's bio. For more than 20 years, Sophie has worked behind the scenes leading teams, advising and improving community experiences for subject matter experts, coaches, startups, nonprofits, and more. Today, she collaborates with people-focused businesses that care deeply about their impact and the quality of the community they put out into the world. Welcome to the show, Sophie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Sophie, this is your first time on the Author to Authority podcast, so I'd love for you to just take a few minutes and share more about your business story and how did you get into building communities? Yes, well, it's been an interesting journey. I um, started getting interested in the online world very early in the history of the internet, which is going to make me sound so old, (laughs) but it is the truth in the age before all the social networks were out there, before even MSN and ICQ were there for some really old school folk, I was online and connecting with people. And we just talked about my hometown. I am from a small community. So the ability to connect with people from around the world in communities that I had never even thought about possibly meeting people in mm-hmm was so fascinating to me. So fast forward to university and to my professional life, I entered the workforce in the agency world where digital was just starting to be a thing. And I had more knowledge than most of my senior colleagues in that area, which afforded me some really interesting projects and a lot of conversations around the impossibility of creating real human connections through a computer, which sounds ridiculous nowadays, completely ridiculous. Most people are like, what do you mean people didn't think that? And yet at that time, the conversation was was real. And I think, I don't think it was a conscious decision, but the common thread throughout my career after that was really about setting the, the record straight and proving them wrong and using the computer not as a replacement to human connection, but a facilitator of it. 
Mm. So what that looked like in the corporate world was really, um, I got an early start in building corporate intranets with, you know, community forum component to it, and then moved on to how can we apply that with some of the social networks that are coming out? How can we apply those concepts? And that ended up landing me in my own consultancy after that, where I was helping people really bridge the gap between like, okay, I'm offering all these programs and I am an expert and I want to be able to increase my impact, maybe step away from the one-on-one work. How do I do that in an online environment in a way that makes sense for my business? And that's where I am today with Clickworthy. That is awesome. So two things came to mind while you were sharing your story. One, I had a computer in my house in the 70s. Ah, there you go. (laughs) My dad was in in computers, working on computers in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And we had an old Radio Shack Trash 80 in the house. Yep. And you had to physically type the programs in to run anything on the computer. There was no disk drives, nothing. You had to sit there and type in code. So my dad used to write code. That was one of the things he did as a hobby for fun. Um, So he created a game for my sister and I, and he created this program that taught you the 10 commandments because he wanted to honor his mom who loved the Bible. (laughs) And so my, my job was to proofread it because his typing was atrocious. And secondly, or my job was he would write it out. I'd have to try and cipher his handwriting, which was another atrocious thing and then type it into the computer. So that was number one. So if you think you are, Okay, yeah, it was very exciting. We also we have also had some very early <laughs> models in our house. I remember making ASCII art as a kid and yep. printing it out on the dot matrix printer. printer. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because like we were the only family, mm-hmm. the only family that had a computer. Yeah, and I remember back in grade eight, my dad came in for career day. Yeah. And my dad was actually one of the most popular ones because he came in to talk about getting jobs working on compute working with computers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many it was more the boys, but a lot of the boys went and saw my dad's presentation. And I know that some of them actually seriously considered, you know, taking computers in high school so that they could get into to the IT field. And I remember my dad telling them that, you know, this is the time you guys, your young generation get in now, Yeah, get in while it's still in its infancy and you will, you will never be at loss for a job. Absolutely. And I would say I did the exact same thing once the internet came on board, you know, there were no courses, there were no formal paths for education on learning how to do this stuff, which was also a great time because as someone who was starting her career, the projects I got to work on are not projects I would have access to in the same situation today. Those would have been given to senior strategists and things like that. But back then I had a really just wide berth (laughs) to be able to test things and go, what if, and like, how do we use these tools, not just to create a space where people talk to each other, but to, you know, emulate as closely as possible what a human to human relationship could look like. 
you know, and that's one of the tenants that I use when we're building community and we're making decisions about should we do this or should we do that? I always go back to if I was in a room with these people face to face, how would the interaction go? And that starts guiding the decisions we make about the type of community we're building and offering. I'm going to stop you right there. Sure. Audience, you hear me say this every once in a while, but what Sophie just said is key to building a business on the online world. If you think that you can just go in, spam people with a bunch of messages and build a business, it doesn't work. You have to create those relationships. You have to think of the person on the other end. There is no easy way to do it. There is no magic software that's going to create all these connections for you and bring in all this business by, you know, just spamming people with messages. I get lots of them. (laughs) The funny ones are the ones when they don't even look at what I do for a living on LinkedIn. Yeah, I own a business. So automatically I need IT support. I need to have programs designed for me and all this it's like, no, <laughs> I, I have a team of freelancers. They all work from home. I work from home. Like, and you know, not that this would say this on my LinkedIn profile, but my husband is a high level computer IT guru. If I want anything done, he just does it for me for free. Well, I guess because we're married, I guess there are some fringe benefits, but we won't go there. <laughs> I think that's, that's one of the keys is is creating the relationships and within that community. And that was one of the reasons why, Sophie, when I saw your profile on Podmatch, I wanted to have you on because this is actually something I've been thinking about, exploring the idea, uh, even for the podcast audience. How do we create a community out of that? So I'm really excited as we sort of transition into the next segment of the show is I want you to talk about that. Like how, how do you start to build, grow and monetize a community? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the first stops that I think is crucial is really to stop for a moment and identify what really is a community. Because I think the word community has been burrowed by a couple different types of business strategists and, and, and people to like encompass things that are actually not community. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I get a lot of requests for, oh, you can help me like build my Instagram audience. And I said, no, the keyword is audience at that point. And, <laughs> and really the difference between building a social media following and building a community is the depth of those connections. I kind of think of social media and even, even, even sorry, email newsletters as all of the same thing. You're bringing people to a concert hall and you are the expert on stage. And, you know, I would venture to say a lot of your readers are used to being an expert (laughs) by virtue of having written a book or or whatever else. That's a very comfortable space to be. You're on stage, you're sharing your expertise. Everyone is there to listen to what you have to say in theory. But once you step off the stage, the audience leaves. There's no reason for them to stick into the room. Whereas with the community, it's a lot more like organizing a networking event. You are creating the container. Yes. 
inviting people to it, providing some kind of value as part of it. But the goal is for everyone in the room to find the people they connect with within that container yes. so that you as the host can step away. You can take a break. You can, you know, go do your thing, but there's still value in being in that room and, and for people to be there. So what that does is it, it ups the value. Like if you can create that container for your business that creates so much opportunity. You know, if I look at it from the perspective of, you know, authors in particular, like why would you want to have a community versus just your social media audience? First and foremost, the most obvious, it's much easier to market the next time you publish your book because you've created a space where you're cultivating your biggest fans. Yes. You have a space of people who are already primed to want to help one another. And that creates a huge opportunity. I have a few clients who, you know, are authors. And what they found is once they've had that community, yes, the social media following helps, especially from, you know, the publisher side of things. But being able to also say, hey, I have a community of people who are willing to help me promote this is really valuable as well. And it's something that we're seeing more and more in that space. The other thing And the other benefit to having a community is I have a lot of those experts clients who have been able to migrate from one-on-one work to one-to-many. Yes. And that's taken a lot of pressure off of them to be on all the time. And I think one of the most important shifts they've had to make, but once they make it, it's very magical, is switch from being kind of the sage on the stage to being the chief curator. Yes. And what that does is it frees you up to give your expertise when you want to, but also be considered the expert enough that when you say, hey, listen to this other person, your community knows that that person is equally as valuable. Yes. So for a lot of people and a lot of experts in particular, this is a really great thing to add to their business as a service, especially as they're like, wanting to free up their time, wanting to create a bit more recurring revenue and all those things, right? So those are just some of the reasons why you would want to consider building a community. I would say that the reasons you don't want to build a community, because there are some of those too, if the only thing you heard and what I just said was you can make money, that's not good enough to bring people together. Yes, I agree. You know, that's just not... uh, it's not a strong and and compelling enough reason. Your community is going to feel it if you're in it for the money. And I talk a lot, you know, in a lot of the work that I do about the need to balance the needs of your business with the needs of your customer. Mm -hmm. That's out of balance. One of you is going to get bored and walk away. Yep. So that brings you me into some of the questions you want to ask yourself when you're just getting started on the path of like, okay, I think community is a good thing. How do I are building it right Um, so sophie i'm actually going to stop you there because i just i had a few comments for you yeah sure we'll we'll head back to that i heard somebody say once that if you have 100 raving fans so i call them your brand ambassadors Mm -hmm. you know those people who love everything you do they think you're the cream of the, the crop and all these kinds of things that it only takes a hundred of these people to completely, totally change your business. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but when I heard that, it just really changed my perspective. And I, I'd love to just for you to take a moment and share your thoughts on that. 
I 100% agree with that. I think on so many levels too, right? Having those deep connections is really what can drive your business forward. Not just from the fact that, for instance, in community building, you may want to think about how do I get 100 people inside this paid community environment, or but also just from the fact that you just don't know who people know until you, you know, get to have a relationship with them and ask for help. Um, so I think that's absolutely accurate. And it's actually a really great point because a lot of the communities I build are not built for millions of people to join and be this mass market experience. They're really highly curated. They are, most of them have applications for the membership to join and not everyone makes it in because we want to make sure that the quality we are providing in the experience is worth paying for. So, so I would say I do absolutely live by that principle that like your, your 100 raving fans are definitely worth more than a million people who kind of follow you ad hoc. Awesome. Awesome. The re- reason I brought that up is, is because sometimes people think that they have to have thousands of people for these, you know, these communities to be effective. And, and for me, quality is better. The quality of the relationships is better than the, the quantity of the relationships. Yeah. And I think in order to make it sustainable for your business, you need to really balance, okay, if I want less people, how can I create an experience that's worth more money? Like people think, oh, I can charge $20 a month for access to this. And that's about it. No, there are people charging thousands of dollars for access to these communities, right? You just have to make sure that it's in line with the value you're offering and also the type of person you're wanting to attract in, right? There's a community out there for executive female leaders. So part of the C-suite of the most Fortune 500 companies, their admission fee is about $6,000 a year. But it's worth it because the connections these women make to help them in their corporate work is, is invaluable. And a lot of them actually end up negotiating it in their work package as well. So they, they find a way to get the membership fee paid. For consumers who might be in a smaller market, the money might be slightly less, but there are still a lot of opportunities to monetize beyond even just the membership fee. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you had point two there, and I, yeah. I interrupted you, but I'll let you, I'll let you go back to it. Well, and I think, I mean, it's the natural sequence of things, right? So when people are like, okay, I understand what a community is. I do think it's a good good thing for my business. Like, where do I even get started? And for me, there are like four critical questions that have work behind them. But if you don't have answers to these four things, you're not going to create something sustainable for yourself. So the first one, which always surprises everyone, is what does this community need to do for me? Sounds super selfish to most people. And they're like, why am I not thinking of my my members first? But the reason is, is you need to really get clear on what the job of this community is going to be in your business. And I'm thinking, like, the obvious answer is I needed to make money for most people. But for my clients, that looks different for every single one. I've had clients tell me I need to create space because I want to start a family. I want to build an asset that I can eventually sell. I want to be able to lessen my workload because I'm heading towards retirement. All of those things need to be a consideration within that. And then from the business perspective, is this, 
you know, meant to take care of customers between book launches? Is it meant to sell your services? What is it meant to do? And you can build a bit of a job description. If you think of your community as a team member, build a job description for it. What are the success metrics that I will measure it by? What are the main responsibilities that it has? And once you have that, that's not the end of the road. Then you have to look at the flip side. And that's when you go into what would my community members want? So who am I marketing to? What are their needs? And not just when they join, but along the journey of transformation, I'm promised Mm -hmm. within that community. Because if you don't understand how their needs change and evolve, that's how you're going to build a community that people join and leave really quickly. Yes. You know, rather than being like, okay, here's point A, where they're starting. Here's point B, where I'm hoping to lead people and that the change I'm trying to make in the world. What are the steps that they go through generally in between. And that will lead you to what do they need most? And then that's the point where you can get really real with the third question is how am I best positioned to help them with those needs and what can I offer? And then from there, it's really about those answers help you with question number four, which is, so now what does the experience need to look like? You've identified kind of your boundaries of what you need and what you're willing to do, you've identified what your members need, where's the sweet spot between the two. Yeah, And that makes all the other decisions so much easier. What platform do I need? What kind of programming? Like, do I need to create content for this? Or do I need to bring in experts? What does it look like? Mm. You know, do I need to plan for offline events for these people because one of their core needs is connection? Those become really, really easy to start putting together after that. Everyone loves starting with that part. It's like when you like buy a house and you want to start decorating, but you have to renovate first. Everyone loves decorating part. And that's where they start. Usually one of my number one things that people come to me with is I need to pick a platform. And I'm like, cool. I have a few questions for you before you do that, (laughs) you know, but having those four questions kind of worked out as you're planning, what kind of community do I want to create? is like critical, critical, critical to the success because that's where you can actually start seeing, ooh, that's going to be really heavy in a workload for me. I don't like that. How can I change it? Or vice versa. My members probably won't get much value out of that. So how can I make it more valuable? Yeah. You know, when you when you said those questions, I was surprised by the first one, but <laughs> once you explained it, it, did, it does make sense. But what I love about that is, see, everybody wants to jump to the icing on the cake. But if you don't ca- create the cake, you got nothing to hold the icing. Exactly. I mean, I love a good icing. Don't get me wrong, but the cake is good, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think one of the things that you said is, is that these questions create the foundation of your community. They give it a strong base. And of course we want to jump to all the fun stuff first. Who doesn't want to jump to all the fun stuff? Right. <laughs> you know, when I start to work with my clients on their book, they want to get to writing the book, mm-hmm. but we've got all these steps you got to do before we start writing the book. Cause if we do these steps, your book's not going to be good. Exactly. Chomping at the bit. And I've got to kind of rein them in and go, I know, I know. I know, but we got to get this outline done first. Yeah. As soon as we get the outline done, we can start writing your book. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then I ask them all these questions. And thankfully, I work with 
pretty high level thought leaders. So usually they can answer it. But every once in a while, there's someone who just can't answer those questions. And, you know, I actually in interviews I've done with clients before they became clients, I started asking these questions because I found I was getting clients who weren't ready to write books. So now during the interview process, I ask a lot of these questions so that I can honestly say, look at them and say, you know what, I know you want to write a book, but you're not ready yet. Yeah. <laughs> and and I won't take on a client if they're not ready. Same. Yeah. Because it becomes such a horrible experience for them. And the book is not what they want. So we, you know, I'm like, okay. And they're not happy with me, but can't do it. Yeah. If they're not ready, can't do it. So we've got a few minutes left there, Sophie. I know everyone, the question everybody wants to ask you about, so let's let's talk about it a little bit, is the platform. Maybe talk about some of the different platform choices that are out there for people, for the communities. Well, there are thousands of them out there. Um, that's the first thing you're going to come up against if you start Googling online community platforms. There are so many flavors of it. I think some of the general and bigger considerations you want to take is, again, around your capacity and like how much of this you want custom versus how much of it you can put up with in a standardized format. Mm -hmm. And I say that because a lot of people come to me and they're like, I want everything fully custom. I'm going to build it on a WordPress website with all these plugins. And then I'm like, so do you do you have a tech team to like maintain that? Yeah. Because here's what it's going to cost you to do that. Plugins do not always play well with each other. They don't like each other. At also, times that, also that, like but also just the like sheer volume of maintenance that puts on your place yes. is huge. So you have to know what you're doing. Yeah. This, you is, this, is not, this is not easy, like click a mouse stuff. Like yeah. it starts to get highly technical. Yeah. And then there's this other category of platforms that are really designed for an enterprise client. So people who are using community platforms for like user communities. So where that you can go ask questions about your platform or whatever else to interact with. Typically it's in the SaaS space to interact with the company, learn more about their products, all that stuff. And those appear to be good spaces for community, but they're also a huge investment upfront. And you don't need to start that. Start there. You can start really small. So there's kind of this level of platforms that are hosted solutions. They have been built, most of them, by community builders who like couldn't find anything in the marketplace that fit what they wanted. They have an amazing ability to host course content as well. So like if your book has a course component to it, they can house that within your community environment and create this really cozy space for your users. And for a lot of member, for a lot of people, that's kind of the category you play in, right? At least to get started, it's a lower fee. All the maintenance is done for you. Everything is hosted. The only thing is you have to be okay with, um, I can't quite customize a hundred percent of it on your own. And for some, that's a hard pill to swallow, but honestly, as a business, and especially if you're just getting started in community and you're still testing what's going to work that's kind of the best category to be in. And and really, once you know what kind of experience you want to offer, that's the right time to look at these platforms and go, which one is going to get me the closest to where I need to go? And it will never be 100%. You probably will have to combine some tools together. 
But if you know the features that are critical to you, just like when you're buying a house, if you know the non-negotiables versus the things you could let go of, Mm -hmm. it's immensely easier. And the the time to start is a lot shorter. So I do want to ask you about one platform because it is one I've been considering and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, And I realize you have to be careful what you say because this is a public podcast. So (laughs) I probably will answer with a question because I'm like, oh, I have a million questions for you. (laughs) Uh, One of the ones that I've been seriously looking at is Circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Circle is a great option for some people. I think Mm -hmm. the questions that I have, which could turn into a whole other podcast episode, are the four other questions is what is Circle meant to support? And how is it going to be like, what's the experience you need to create? I'm a huge advocate of picking platform after designing the experience. Yes. Because otherwise you're letting the platform lead your choices. Yeah. At the end of the day. One of the reasons I considered it because I wanted to build more of a networking type community Mm -hmm. where, you know, we could do some lives where we, you know, I could interview people in there where people could post content, you know, where, you know, the members could create courses for each other. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the reasons why I looked at circle was because of its, its capabilities, uh, you know, right within the platform without having to go off of the platform. And I know they're expanding their capabilities. So I think it will even be able to do, sort of network meetings on it soon. So I was kind of like, yeah. And and the price was very reasonable for what you got. And it's like a beginner's package, right? So it's not it's not gonna break my bank while I'm building it. So that was one of the reasons why I considered it. But just, you know, I always love to get experts thoughts on things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean my my two second answer without having dived into the rest of what I do when I'm building community experiences, Circle is a solid option for a lot of people. And, you know, there are a number of up and coming platforms that are similar, if not better in some regards, they're kind of looking at Circle and saying, how can we enhance that experience? Uh, So there's definitely options out there. It really, really depends. Like it's hard for me to even give you a, a like hard answer, not knowing you know, what the four, four questions we talked about today really look like. But that was what I was kind of looking for. Like I was looking for, okay, circle is a solid platform. It's like an option. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm like, well, you might want to consider something else. I mean, there's always options and there's always going to be a new platform that comes out. That's better than, yeah. than the other one. Uh, so we're actually running out of time. So, <laughs> This has been a wonderful conversation, Sophie. Yeah, what I would love for you to do is share one final parting thought. And then also, if people have been listening to this and they're like, I need to find out more about building a community for my business. Do yeah. you have any free giveaways or how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. So I'll start with the first question and go work my way down. So I think, you know, my parting thought on here, again, always come back to what does the human experience look like before you look at the tech experience? And also community building is not a, doesn't need to be a mass marketing effort. You can start very small. And in fact, the best communities who are focusing on depth and quality of membership start with small groups and build from there. 
So even if you have 10 people who are your, your strongest advocates, start with creating value for them and grow from there. Um, I think would be my best piece of advice in terms of how to get started that we haven't talked about. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, I am definitely available available on the internet. So LinkedIn is my platform of choice to connect. Uh, you can check out my website at clickworthy.com and you see it on the screen, but it's C-L-I-Q-U-E, worthy.com. Um, and I do have something in the realm of platforms. So I have a free platform guide that your listeners can download. If they go to clickworthy.com slash platform guide, um, and it's a set of questions to just really help them think through all of the requirements their platform might need to have before they start making commitments to any of that. That is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Sophie, Joe, and Kim Thompson-Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson-Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.